What's up? You're listening to Fork the Product. I'm your host, Nick Casares. And I'm your other host, Zach Cohen. Fork the Product is a podcast that explores the intersection of blockchain, product, and user experience. We interview founders and builders to understand how they're approaching problems in the blockchain space. The show is brought to you in part by Polyant Labs. Nick, can you talk for a second about Polyant? Sure. Polyant is a blockchain-focused, early-stage startup incubator. We're headquartered in Phoenix, Arizona. And I say we're because in my other life, I'm the director of product for Polyant. Long story short, we help founders bring their ideas to life by providing them with early-stage funding, mentoring, and support with things like development, design, and marketing services. If you're an entrepreneur or developer and you have a vision that you'd like to discuss with Polyant, visit our website at polyant.io. That's P-O-L-Y-I-E-N-T dot I-O for more information. Great. Thanks for your support, Polyant. Now on to today's show. In this episode, we speak with Leighton Cusack, founder and CEO of Pool Together. Leighton was previously the co-founder and CEO of Kindred, a company dedicated to increasing generosity through technology. Pool Together is a no-loss lottery built on Ethereum, leveraging DAI and Compound. Their mission is to create financial security by offering a healthy alternative to lotteries. We explore how Pool Together started as a hackathon project at ETH Denver and what Leighton has done to transform it into a high-growth project in such a short period of time. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Fork the Product. Today, we are speaking with Leighton Cusack of Pool Together. Leighton, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So to kick us off and, and get us started, it would be awesome if you could give us an overview of Pool Together. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Pool Together is a blockchain-based no-loss savings game. Um, so basically what we've done is taken the concept of no-loss lotteries, aka prize link savings accounts, which is the fundamental idea is that um, you uh, buy a ticket uh, to get a prize, if you don't get the prize, you get all your money back. And that sounds too good to be true. But the, the way it works is that the prize is funded by the interest that's earned on all of the, all of the tickets that were purchased. So we've built that. Um, it's actually an idea that's been around for a long time. It's a really powerful idea, but it's never been uh, done on blockchain before. And we, we built that on the blockchain. And, and that's uh, what Pool Together is. Very cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the history of the idea? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I came across it in a Wikipedia article, <laughs> like, like most good ideas. So yep. um, I, I don't know exactly, you know, who invented it. But what I can tell you is uh, one of the most popular and well-documented uh, prize link savings accounts was uh, done in South Africa. There's also, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Walmart actually runs a prize link savings account program, uh, which has had about $2 billion go through it. There's been um, some done in uh, the state of Michigan in the United States, um, also in the state of Texas. So it's an idea that's been around for, um, you know, at least to my knowledge, for, for, for the past 20 years or so. And, uh, and again, it's been a really powerful um, way to get people who traditionally would buy lottery tickets to actually save money. So interesting. Yeah, it's I actually had no idea that it was so um, that there were so many other examples of this. So. You know, I think it would be great to get a little bit of background on yourself and, yeah. you know, how did you come to work on Pool Together? Like, how does your history and background sort of spill into how you came to working on Pool Together? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, Pool Together was, the idea for it was really um, the outcome of a, of a several month research process around 
basically thinking how how can we create new financial tools that actually create by using them create economic health create financial health um so so many of the financial tools that we have out there don't actually help people become more financially healthy and um and so you know my my background is is in software entrepreneurship so i I did a, a fintech startup that was not blockchain from um, 2011 to 2018, and when I left that company, um, after we after we sold it, uh, I was really started this research process that that I was just talking to you about. So that was you know the pool together concept really didn't wasn't just kind of something that we said hey you know how can we build something on blockchain, but it really started um, before even thinking about blockchain. It just started with thinking about how can we build new uh, economic software that actually helps people become more financially healthy. And in the course of that research is when I came across the idea of the prize link savings accounts, no loss lotteries. And I think the thing that's really um, what was exciting to me when I came across the idea is it's one of the few things that actually works better on a blockchain, <laughs> right? Like there's a, there's, there's a lot of ideas that uh, you can port over to, you know, to the blockchain, but they don't necessarily work better. But um it seemed really clear right off the bat that a prize link savings account or no loss lottery that was built on the blockchain would be much better than one that was built uh, just in the fiat banking system. So interesting. Uh, do you mind actually expanding on that a little bit? Like, what are some of the limitations of doing it, you know, in this typical banking system with fiat? Well, I think there's three ways that we think about why this is so much better on blockchain versus fiat. Um, the first one is is global, right? So it's not constrained to a fiat currency is going to constrain it to a specific geography. So if you're using U.S. dollars, it's going to work in the United States. If you're using euros, it works in the eurozone. Um, so on blockchain, it's going to be global, uh, which means that uh, it's going to ultimately have much larger economies of scale because people can participate from it from in it from anywhere, and so you're going to have more people doing it, which leads to uh, you know larger prizes. So global would be the first one. Uh, the second is that the thing with, with prize link savings accounts, no loss lotteries is the unit economics really matter because you're not getting very much interest from each deposit. And so if a lot of that interest is getting burned in the administration of the program, then you're not going to have really any money to fund the prizes. And so what works on blockchain a lot better is that it's all administrated with smart contracts, which means the unit economics actually makes sense uh, because it's, it's economically efficient to operate it at scale. And I think the third one is the auditable nature of blockchain. So traditionally, pricing savings and lotteries have to be closely associated with a trusted institution, because otherwise, you know, how are you going to know the numbers aren't being manipulated? How are you going to know the person who won wasn't, you know, the, the friend of the person who picked the winner? Um, and so what's unique about blockchain, though, is since anyone can audit the, the code and can uh, see if it's if it's actually fair, then we don't need to have that kind of third party behind it. So I think for those three reasons, it, that's why um, a no loss lottery prize link savings account on the blockchain is is so much better than uh, one that's just with fiat. Yeah, that's that's a really great use case, I think, for blockchain. Um, and and you're right, it's, it sounds like one of the few that just seems like a very natural fit. Yeah, um, for sure. If, if we can rewind just for a minute, I would love to dig in a little bit more on the user research that you embarked on. Can you tell us what that looked like? And you know, what were some of the major insights that you took away from that? I would probably reframe it a little bit because it wasn't so much user research as much as it was. Um, it really started with the question of like, okay, 
how do these financial tools that we use every day and are so important to us, how do they get invented? <laughs> like, where do they come from, right? So I think a lot of times we think, you know, insurance or the stock market, we think of these as things that were, have always been around and always will be around. But the reality is um, they haven't. Someone invented those things. And so I, my research really started with like, how was the stock market invented? How was life insurance invented? How were credit cards invented? And how were they popularized? And how have they changed? And and looking back on that, how could we say, what's something that in 10 years will be as important to us as these kind of things are today, but just hasn't been invented yet? So I would love to you know get a sense for how you think about the market size and target audience for Pool Together. Well, we think of the market size as all liquid cash. Um, that is our total addressable market so we think that in the long term you know if you take you know crypto on ramping out of the equation if you don't worry about that we think that everyone will want to have any any funds that they have that are just kind of sitting in a bank account whether it's a corporate treasury or a personal savings account or any other account they'll want to have them and pool together so that's how we think about the addressable market. That's, you know, long-term vision, total addressable market we see as, as all liquid cash. Um, I think right now we're t- 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 trying to target, we would say, uh, crypto and crypto adjacent people. And I would say with the emphasis on crypto adjacent people. So we really want to be growing the, the pie for crypto, right? We don't want to be another app that's built on Ethereum that people who use other apps built on Ethereum use, right? We want to be bringing new people into the ecosystem. So that's why we use this term crypto adjacent. And what we mean by that is it's sort of a loose definition, but it's people who uh, don't necessarily own crypto right now, but they've heard of it. <laughs> maybe they have a friend who, you know, it's it's maybe like your brothers and sisters or mother, mother and father. You know, I don't know where they're in, at in their crypto journey, but people who have some some like knowledge of crypto and have some curiosity of it, but haven't yet been onboarded into the ecosystem. And so we're doing a lot to try to, target them and bring them in. And right now that looks like basically just, you know, making sure we have a really good help center, making sure we provide really good customer support when people contact us, making sure we have really good tutorials on how to use the product and and have the best, you know, possible onboarding ramps, even if right now those are still pretty hard. So that's that's kind of what it looks like practically. That's great. And and I love that you're thinking about that crypto adjacent market and sort of the crypto curious type of user. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, user adoption is on everyone's mind who's who's building something on the sp- in the space because it's that critical hurdle that we all have to get over. Yeah. Um, and I've I've heard various takes on who should spearhead that or you know where that falls in terms of responsibility in the ecosystem. I'm curious with Pool Together so far, have you done much research with that group of users? And if so, what are some of the takeaways from that research? We're we're I would say we're at the early stages. Like we're doing a lot of user interviews with with these people who are kind of using an app, an Ethereum app for the first time. And you'll notice, like, I actually intentionally call them apps, not dApps, just because I think, like, dApps is just one more word that confuses people. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's great that it is decentralized, but, like, let's just call it an app so people understand what, what we're talking about. Um, so we did, a, we did a survey, actually, just um, a couple weeks ago with our users, and we found that 46% of the people who responded had never used DAI before joining pool together, which we thought was pretty, pretty encouraging. Wow. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And what kind of couples with that, what attracted them to pool together when we asked them, what do you like the most about pool together? And this was just a free form question. They could put anything. The vast majority of people put no loss. And, um, I, I think, you know, 
for normal people, I think crypto is really associated with losing a lot of money because that's how most people got into it. Most people yeah. bought crypto in 2017 and they lost all their money in 2018. And so if you can say, hey, here's something where you have a, you have a chance to win a prize, right? It, it, it's like you still have that chance of like, maybe this is going to turn out well for me, but you can take away that downside fear of I'm going to lose all my money. That I think is really appealing to normal people. And that I think is the best on-ramp um, into crypto is something that has no loss associated with it. In terms of the the user interviews that you've conducted so far, um, you know, one of our goals with this podcast is to really help people that are building things in this space, give them, you know, a wider perspective on how other teams are operating. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are coming from a background of building traditional software products and using some of those kind of well-worn approaches. And so user research is obviously a, a critical part of, of building a great product. And I think that anybody who's built a software product understand some of the basics of how you go about speaking with users and some of the questions yeah. that you might want to ask them to understand their perspectives and their mental models. Uh, have you noticed any significant difference in the types of questions that you're asking or the way that you approach those conversations to try to get underneath some of these fundamental concepts? Hmm. You know, I wish I had a really good answer to that, but I don't think I do because <laughs> it's a good question. I think probably the only thing I would maybe say about it is that we have to go so we have to be people who don't know much about crypto don't think we want to talk to them. The people who we, we want to talk to are the people who are new. But when I talk to the people who are new, they're always apologizing. They're saying like, ah, I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't know more. If I knew more, this would have been easier, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's kind of like they're blaming themselves. So I guess maybe that'd be my one tip is like really try and go out of your way to encourage people to talk to you because the people who you want to talk to are probably the least likely to raise their hand. But in terms of you know, how the actual interview is conducted, I think it's been probably fairly similar with my like Web2 experience. Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. And, you know, doing, you know, user research and in, in my experience as a PM, you know, I, I often see the same thing. Like people, either they're telling you exactly what they think they need and perhaps they're wrong or yeah. they are apologizing and, you know, <laughs> profusely because... You know, they think they're giving you bad information when you actually want to give them just you want them to give you pure information. Um, but one other follow up that I had on the user research is um, and and I bring this up because we've heard from others in the space who perhaps, you know, subscribe to the ethos of, oh, you know, everything should be anonymous or pseudonymous. Yeah. Um, how are you conducting research and or, or even thinking about doing it in the future to be able to actually go deeper and understand really the underlying needs of your users, particularly when you think about crypto adjacent or, you know, have never even touched crypto. How are you reaching out to those folks? Yeah, it's, it's hard um, because of the anonymous nature of the product. So, you know, real practically what we've done is um, we, did, we have an optional email collection at the end of the process of joining the pool. And that's where we get most people fill that out. And obviously, it's 100% it's optional, which we thought was important. But it, it is presented in the UI in such a way that it makes it look like you should do it. And, um, and so that's how we got our email addresses. And then from that, we've you know contacted people asking if they would fill out a survey. And then from that, we've selected the people that we thought were most relevant for us to talk to. So that's kind of the real nuts and bolts of it. But you know, to your point, 
I'll, I'll give you guys some never before heard, very hot off the press just this afternoon numbers for us. So <laughs> please do. Since, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since, since we launched um, our, the second version of Pool Together, I think it was four weeks ago. So we've had 925 unique Ethereum addresses participate. Mm. And uh, of those, 770 are still in the pool. And so 155 have left. And we were actually just talking about this this morning. It was, it's like, it would be great if we could talk to those 155 people who have left. Right. <laughs> but we don't know who they are. <laughs> and and so there is like those limitations that you don't have with Web2. And, you know, the other thing with us, too, is we and no one who has won the pool has ever identified themselves. And so we actually have no idea. Who, oh, wow. We've never, we've never talked to someone who's won the pool. Um, wow. And so, you know, there's stuff that you miss. And uh, and I think that, you know, I, it's a worthwhile trade off, I think. Right. It's a worthwhile trade off for um, the privacy that blockchain affords. But yeah, from a product development perspective, it does kind of limit you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and actually, we were just having a conversation about a similar topic um, and just this whole idea that it's a mindset shift to ask people to opt into these things. But over time, I think the hope is that as people start to learn of the benefits of decentralization and controlling their yeah. data and sovereign identity, they'll start to actually raise their hand when they see the value in a particular feature. So I think for product builders, it becomes much more of a, a challenge to just frame that sort of value in a way that the user can identify it and, and wants to actually opt into that. Yeah, for sure. And that's what, you know, for us, we frame it as uh, sign up to get email notifications when a winner is announced. And right. so people can do that or they can't, but the value proposition is very clear. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I think goes hand in hand with uh, understanding audiences that we've heard a lot of in different projects is the community that you build up around your project. And so whether yeah. that's in Discord or Telegram or whatever uh, channel or method that you might be using, are you are you actively working with the community or, or building a community around Pool Together? Yeah, for sure. We, we really want to. Um, so we have uh, we started with Telegram just because that was kind of the default. And so I think we have like 200 people in our channel now. And and we, we try to really make sure that we tell them first before anyone else knows about any change that's happening or a new design or whatever. Um, so we really do value that community and listen to them. And then additionally, you know, we're, we are really focused on making sure we don't become like a English centric or like even Western centric product, like Western yeah. markets. Yeah. Um, and so we just put out a, a call to uh, basically we've created like a pretty bare bones, but like community advocate role, part-time role that's paid with a stipend. And we're accepting people from any language and country. <laughs> and like, ultimately our goal would be to have a community representative for every language and country. Um, and right now we have some from like Eastern Europe and some from uh, Latin America. And we're working on um, more of the, the Asian markets as well, getting people over there. So we're definitely trying to build the community that way as well and be intentional about that. I think that's a really important uh, dimension to think about. Also very challenging too, especially when you think about the different, you know, adoption of crypto in, in different areas of the world and even just yeah. like society's acceptance is, is different depending on where you are. So kudos to you for taking that on. I think it's a huge challenge. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would love to jump a little bit to governance. You know, we, we yeah. spoke... I think a couple of weeks back about some experimentation you were doing with Aragon. Would love to, you know, get an update on that and even in some sense get even like a customer interview out of you in terms of what that experience has been like using Aragon, but also just your thoughts more broadly on how you think about governance now and where you see it going in the future with Pool Together. Yeah, that's a super good question. So starting with Aragon, our experience has been great. 
um, I would say I love Aragon. I love the software. I, I love their mission. We are using it, though, I would say in a limited sense. We're essentially using it as a public accounting system of all the money that goes in and out of pool together. So we're not using it kind of like in its fullest sense of, of it's not really like pool together. It's not truly like a DAO. It just has maybe a much more public face on like our internal operations. And I think maybe that answer kind of gets at how we view some of the governance aspects is that, you know, I, I would say we're, we've taken a route maybe somewhat similar to what Compound is doing, maybe to some degree following their lead of valuing the decentralization, but being pragmatic about when and how it's implemented. And I think at the earliest stages, in some ways, it's the hardest to implement, right? Because you don't have a community around the product at all. And you don't have people who are bought into it. And so there is kind of a bootstrapping nature, chicken egg type paradox to, I think, decentralized governance, where to have great decentralized governance, you have to have a really involved community. To have a really involved community, you have to have a product that people are using and love. And so we're very much like living in the tension, I would say, of how do we decentralize as much as we can without seriously inhibiting the growth and support of the product. Yeah, it is really interesting. And and it definitely is one of those things where there's a tough tension. But yeah, yeah. I, I think the approach that you guys have taken thus far seems fantastic. And, you know, over time, these are the things that as you achieve product market fit and build that community, you can selectively start to decentralize aspects of the project. Exactly. So Leighton, how big is the Pool Together team now? It is uh, three people, myself included. Okay. So you guys are a really uh, tight group working together. And you know, obviously, yeah. every, every team, no matter the size, but especially smaller teams, I think, are up against more challenges just in terms of how much you can actually get done you know, versus the, the opportunities to tackle. So I'm curious, uh, with your team, what are some of the challenges that you all are working through? And this, we'll leave it kind of wide open. This could be with regard to building a business. This could be with regard to working on the UX. This could be community development. We'd love to hear a little bit more about the challenges. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is regulatory legal. I mean, it it's just such a big issue, such a big unknown in a lot of ways, and such an expensive thing to look into, right? Like. Yeah. It does really limit, I mean, back, you know, maybe to tie it back a little bit with the decentralization thing, if there is a lot, if there was more clarity around, you know, token governance and tokens as equity and that type of stuff, we would probably be much further down that road. But a big part of, of why we haven't is partially because of what I was just saying about, you know, the need to kind of get bootstrap the community. But also a big part of it is around um, the lack of regulatory clarity. So I mean, that, that's maybe not the most fun thing to talk about on a, on a product part, podcast. <laughs> no, no, uh, it's, no it's, I, it's a reality, right? We're all, we're all up against that challenge. Yeah, yeah. It, it's perhaps not a fun thing for anybody to deal with, but I think hearing how you're thinking about it and obviously that it is concerning to you. And it, yeah, I think that's actually extraordinarily valuable. And, and we've heard that you know, from others in previous episodes, but also sort of in private conversations. So feel free to go to town. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll leave that one there. But I think um, I think the other one, this would be much more, maybe a little more uh, niche, but the other one that you know we've dealt with a lot is like wallets kind of slash onboarding. There's a big issue there with, you know, because if you want it to be as easy as possible for a new person, you really want to have like one path, right? You don't want to show them a screen that says like, hey, here's 10 different ways you can join pool together. Right. Um One's an app, one's a web browser, one's a web uh, web plugin, one's a one's a you know a web-based wallet. There's like so many different standards there, 
And so I, th- I think maybe if I was to pivot from like the big picture of regulatory stuff to something really practical that we've had to deal with is like, how are we going to provide the best user experience, particularly for new people, but also balance that against like um, wanting to support a bunch of wallets, but all the wallets kind of work differently. And so that's kind of like a, a pretty unique, I think, Web3 thing you have to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people are taking different approaches to that, too. I mean, Dapper's obviously gone down the road of, of creating kind of a unique and, and a custom experience. But yeah, it's a great point. Like, you know, if I were to sit down and show my mom how to use pool together, I think that whole disconnect between this new sort of intermediate piece of software that has nothing to do with my goal. Yeah, is yeah, a real sure friction point. Yeah. So to, to expand on this a little bit, just speaking about the team uh, stuff. So I think anybody building in this space understands at this point that it's very multidisciplinary in some ways more than traditional software because we have to think about new things like regulatory frameworks and we have to think about things like token economic structures. I'm curious for a small team who's trying to build something and ship something awesome, what's your take on in aggregate the skill sets that a solid team needs kind of as MVP skills, if you will, to be able to ship something? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, don't I don't want to be a cop out on this, but is Paul Graham's essay on uh, relentlessly resourceful entrepreneurship, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that kind of being like what you need. Um, because I do think I, the first thing that comes to mind, I would say would be less about domain expertise and more about an attitude of, of we want to make this work and we believe in we're like true believers in crypto, right? Like, I think that is something so important to me that you, you don't just see crypto as like a new way to bring your product to market or like a new way to, to try and make money, but you see crypto as actually a completely different way of engaging with society and a completely new canvas for, for reinventing, reinventing society. So I think that is like the first thing, because if you don't have that core belief, then you're, then you're going to, you're going to give up and you're going to be like, well, why, why are we doing this with Web3 tools? We could just do it without a blockchain, right? Like you have to have that true believer thing. Outside of that, to be more practical and a little less in the clouds. I mean, obviously the technical, the solidity development, you have to have that. And then I think experience bringing products to market, whether they're crypto or not, is also really important. So I would say try and have someone on your team who's brought a product to market. That's definitely important as well. For a team of your size, when you're trying to ship things, we've talked to other teams and they have larger teams, more resources to be able to do things like QC or, you know, dedicate somebody solely to the UX. I'm curious what your primary concerns are when it comes to shipping your products. I would imagine that, you know, the contract is, is core of, yeah. of getting things out the door. But what are the other, you know, maybe top five concerns that you're thinking about as you're shipping with a small team? Yeah, I mean, we're always looking for like, we basically say, hey, there's two variables, like, what's the increase in utility of the product? And what's the difficulty to implement this feature? And yeah. so we are always prioritizing through that lens. And so we think about broadly, we think about it in two categories. One is broadening the funnel. And so broadening the funnel would mean, how do we make it easier for more people to get into the pool? So that would be things like site translation or um, a new wallet integration that maybe works works really simply for beginners, things like that. And then the second category we think about is like broadening product functionality. So that would mean, how do we create more ways for people to interact with the pool? And Right now, we're focusing a bit more on actually the latter. How do we like broaden the product functionality? And that's because we think the former, there's more people than just us working on the former, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of people working on how do you onboard people into crypto. There's only 
three people working on pool together. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I do think, you know, focus on, focus on what you're uniquely bringing to the market would, would maybe be my advice there of like, you know, we could focus on how do we build the best fiat on ramp, but there's a lot of people doing that. And that's not the unique thing we're bringing to the market. The unique thing we're bringing to the market is this no loss savings game. And so like, let's focus on that. And so that's, I think how we're, we're trying to make sure we're, we're doing the right things, building the right things. That's a great point. Absolutely. So cool. Perhaps want to switch gears a little bit and understand, uh, I believe, you know, in order to start the project, you secured some grant funding from uh, Maker MakerDAO Foundation. Could you talk us through a little bit what that process was like and share anything that might be useful or interesting to others who you know, maybe curious to pursue something like that themselves. Yeah. So the real quick background is um, I, I met Chuck and Brendan at Ethereum Denver. And um, I actually came to Ethereum Denver with the idea for Pool Together. I pitched it. I worked with a couple a couple of people um, at, at Ethereum Denver, um, but it wasn't, the, it wasn't the right team to keep working on it. And so I actually met Chuck and Brendan there. And um, we did a first, uh, we outlined basically a Rinkaby prototype. And that first prototype was self-funded. So, so I paid for that. The next step, once we got that Rinkeby prototype done, was to post it to um, Reddit. <laughs> so we posted it to the MakerDAO Reddit. And posting it to Reddit is what got us the grant. Not directly, but it's what got us the connection that then got us the ability to pitch Maker, then got us the grant, which was the grant is what got us to mainnet. And so the lesson I would pull out for people from that is like, do do just to put you in my head when we finished the rinkeby prototype i was like you know what no one this kind of doesn't look good at all it's it's not it's not worth showing anyone it's just going to like people aren't going to like it it's just going to like ruin any momentum that we might have it's going to like tarnish my name um that so i didn't want to post it but by posting it i um unintentionally set up a process that led to us getting to mainnet release and so what i would the lesson i'd pull out is like don't underestimate like what will happen, maybe the unintended consequences of kind of taking the leap of faith or taking the next step in your product development, even if it's not as far as you want it to go, right? And I can even go back to even me showing up at East Denver. I was going there by myself. I knew no one there. I had never been to a crypto event before. It wasn't comfortable. And there was a, a big part of me that I was like, I don't want to go. Like, I'm going to cancel this trip. It's not worth it. But I did. And that led to me meeting Chuck and Brendan. And then we built the Rinkeby prototype and I didn't want to post it to Reddit, but I did. And that led to, you know, getting the grant. And so I would just really encourage people to take a step, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to lead exactly where they want to go, because um, you might, you never know like what the unintended implications of that step will be. I love that story. Yeah. And great advice too. If we could actually dive in even a little bit more, you know, once you got the funding, uh, you know, what is the interaction like if, if there is much at all with the Maker Foundation. So Rich at Maker is who I pretty much primarily exclusively interacted with. And he is an amazing asset to this community, the crypto community, and an awesome, awesome guy. Um, it was pretty uh, formalized, actually, surprisingly. <laughs> Obviously, we had full autonomy of, of how do we build the product. But um, it wasn't kind of just take the money and never talk to us again. There was, you know, checkpoints and there was um, some documentation that I submitted in terms of what we were going to do and how did we actually do it. And so I thought it was the right amount of oversight, which was great for a program. You know, sometimes they're way too much in the weeds and sometimes they just give you money and it seems like they don't actually care about anything. 
But uh, our experience working with Maker was 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 awesome, and it definitely was not just a free check, but it it had a, what felt like an appropriate amount of oversight for the money they were giving us. And just so that first grant they gave us was uh, fifteen thousand, so it wasn't you know a huge amount of money, but it was definitely meaningful. <laughs> it was it was more money than I had to put into the project. It's good to hear that there is some formality around the process because I think that yeah. that you know it's starting to introduce some discipline and some rigor and some accountability. Yes, this is very grassroots sometimes, and it's very community driven, but we are building things that matter, and yeah. I think having that same sort of rigor is important. This has been a great conversation. Loved everything that you've talked about. To kind of close things out, we've got a couple of final questions. Uh, so maybe I'll take the first one and, and Zach can finish up. What's keeping you up at night in terms of pool together? Open-ended. Uh, for, for top top ones, honestly, regulatory stuff. It's just like, um, how do we... Because we're, we're not in the camp of saying like, you know, screw the regulators. We don't care. We're in the camp of saying, we would love to, to have this be a fully compliant product, but it's very unclear what that means. Um, so that, that, that would be the top, I think secondary as any DAP developer would say is smart contract risk. You know, we've had our audits and we're going to keep getting them and getting more of them, but that would definitely be number two. If we fast forward five years, how is the world different with pool together in the world? Well, yeah, there's $280 billion spent on lottery tickets every year globally. And so if we can redirect, you know, 10% of that in the next five years, that's $28 billion annually. That's going from a, you know, negative financial return to a positive financial return. And that is going to move the needle for a lot of people for their financial security. And that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we believe we can do with with this product. Love it. Again, Leighton, this has been an awesome conversation. Before we close out here, any plugs or anything that you want our listeners to know? Well, I definitely wanted to dive in the pool and give it a try. And honestly, even better, one one up would be to send it to your cousin or your mom or whoever it is and see if you can get them to use it. And like I said, don't hesitate to to reach out and give us your feedback. The less you know about crypto, the more we want to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much again for your time. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, Leighton. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fork the Product. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share this podcast with all your crypto friends. See you next time.